Hello there. So much has happened in 2021 that our look back on the year turned out to be longer than expected. So we're breaking this press play special into a two-parter. How about that? Part 1 covered January through June, so let's not delay any longer and get into the rest of the year, starting with July. For Play Diaries, this is Press Play. I'm Johnny Cohn. Let's start. July. July didn't let up in the new games department. F1 2021 launched on current gen and last gen hardware and PC as the first EA Codemasters game, as did Chris Tales and Last Stop for those platforms plus Nintendo Switch. A surprise sequel to the World Ends With You that was announced close to the end of 2020 launched on PlayStation 4, Nintendo Switch and PC, as did Souls like Death Store and The Ascent, a much talked of key game for Xbox Series X and S and Xbox Game Pass from Curve and Neon Giant. Here's creative director Arcade Berg speaking to Play Diaries earlier this year. We actually started very humble saying, well, we need something that is very scalable and can be very bare bones if that's where we land. Because even though we have a plan, we don't know who we're going to find. And we also needed to have a game that we knew that when we bring in an individual, it is really an individual where we can look at that person's skill set and what can you bring to the table. Instead of when you're a 200-man team and you hire two more artists, it's it's just it's just a number. It's, yeah, now we have a bit more art, uh, but for us it was we could make uh, pretty significant changes in scope and also where we were taking the game. Uh, so we we wanted to have something very very flexible early on because if you were to remove all the bells and whistles and and uh, RPG layers and dialogue and voiceover and cutscenes and, and co-op and online and all oh, that's me, you know, just listening to features but, you know, we could still have shipped a game it would have still been a game uh, but then we could keep adding on and on and on and had we day one said we're going to make this behemoth of a game and we're going to need exactly these people and it's going to have to be exactly like this, we would have locked ourselves into a place and a method that doesn't align with how we want to make games. So that's really where it started. But July saw the breaking of the biggest news story of the year, and one that continues to roll on. Activision Blizzard was served by the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing for what it described as a frat boy mentality across the latter company that saw it allow toxic misconduct, inequality, and more run rampant. Once the suit was filed, stories emerged on social media of some of the inner workings that had gone on. Former senior Blizzard execs, including former CEO and co-founder Mike Morheim and former lore master Chris Metzen, apologized for their roles for not doing a better job in fostering a better workplace and passively allowing it all to happen. But by that point, the floodgates had opened and would only continue to get worse and worse for the company as the year continued. Also in July, a year since the beginning of its own allegations leveled against it, Ubisoft announced the next mainline Assassin's Creed would be a live service project known as Assassin's Creed Infinity, headed up by teams in Quebec and Montreal, and led by the former. But despite key figures leading the development, including former Splinter Cell, Far Cry and Watch Dogs creative director Clint Talking, 
Outside reports revealed developers that were reported to Ubisoft as being toxic were still working within the company. That's on top of a reported acrimonious relationship between developers Ubisoft Quebec and Ubisoft Montreal that had developed amid the continued development of the Assassin's Creed series. Announced a month earlier at E3, Annapurna Interactive held its first ever showcase featuring the likes of Stray, Solar Ash, a memoir Blue, and new dev partnerships for the publisher. It ended with news of a new and only expansion for Outer Wilds, which would release towards the end of September. Frankly, the Annapurna Showcase was the showcase event of the summer. But Annapurna wasn't the only publisher to hold the showcase in July, although it wasn't as eventful. But that wasn't to say there was little of worth during EA Play Live. In its first event under the EA umbrella, Codemasters announced the return of Grid with Grid Legends for a 2022 launch. But its key one more thing came in the form of the return of a previously rumoured reboot for a beloved franchise. The return of Dead Space, coming from Star Wars Squadrons developer EA Motive for PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X and S and PC. The project, running off the DICE created Frostbite engine, is a remake of the first game. DICE LA had been rebranded as Ripple Effect by EA just before EA Play Live, the show it being its own studio. It would help support DICE Stockholm, Criterion and others in development on Battlefield 2042, but it was also confirmed to be working on a brand new project in its own right as lead developer. Press Play, the podcast you're listening to now, returned for the first time in 2021 with new episodes after unintentionally going dark at the end of 2020. Our first episode featured Andrew Shouldice talking of the upcoming Tunic for Xbox and PC. Here's Shouldice from earlier this year on how progress on its development had gone. There's a point during development in a lot of uh, projects where you are you see the 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 steep part of the the parabola in front of you, and it feels insurmountable and all you can do is continue to work and then you get to a point where the the peak is in sight and the path forward is clear and all the things that you're doing are improvements and exciting things to work on i'm actually excited about doing the next like ui tasks that i have to do which is something that i never thought i'd say that i'm excited about doing ui tasks um but the fact that every step forward is a step closer to this peak and that that path is clear now is extremely exciting for the better part of 2021 for the e3 Speculation and rumours were rampant that Nintendo was finally going to announce a Nintendo Switch Pro model that featured significant 4K support and a ton more bells and whistles. A new Nintendo Switch model was announced after E3, just not the one we were expecting. Nintendo Switch OLED model was announced by the company with a new OLED screen for the main console as well as a new design for the dock that would act as the system's third main release following the original launch in 2017 and Nintendo Switch Lite in 2019. Nintendo confirmed the new OLED Switch would release on October 8th, the same day as Metroid Dread.
August. The fallout from the allegations against Activision Blizzard a month earlier continued unabated and saw the biggest head roll from it to date. J. Allen Brack was out as president of Blizzard three and a half years after he had taken the role following Mike Morheim's retirement from the company. Mike Gibara, a former SCP at Xbox and ex-Vicarious Vision studio head Jen O'Neill were installed as co-leaders of Blizzard. A walkout from Blizzard and Activision developers was organised which took place in August both online as well as at Blizzard's campus in Irvine, California. In the time since, O'Neill has stepped down from her role and left Activision Blizzard. Meanwhile, the company said in numerous statements and memos released from Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kodak it was working with authorities, upgrading its policies, practices and training to further prevent and eliminate harassment and discrimination in its workplaces and had settled with the EEOC and provided an $18 million fund for victims of harassment and discrimination in the company. A drop in the ocean for ActiBlizz compared to its market valuation of around $70 billion, the $8 billion it made in its financial year 2020 and the fact that Kodak was meant to receive $155 million in pay for the company's FY2020 although it was later announced he would not take that pay and would take the minimum pay he was able to get per California law. But Kodak's actual day of reckoning was yet to come. From a games perspective, the company would continue to rake it in with this year's Call of Duty Vanguard from Sledgehammer Games and the continued success of Warzone, but it announced it had indefinitely delayed Diablo 4 and Overwatch 2 to beyond 2022. Also in August, Fulbright co-founder Steve Gaynor was announced to no longer be leading Open Roads, the next game from the developer, or the studio as a whole. A Polygon report cited a toxic workplace at the developer behind Gone Home and Tacoma, with behaviour by Gaynor in particular, while not accused in the report of sexual harassment or sexism, indicative of a nature of microaggressions within Fulbright that was controlling and toxic under him. Gainer still works as a writer on the game, but has no day-to-day interaction with the dev team, with publisher Annapurna Interactive acting instead as a mediator between the two. Originally planned for a release this year, Open Roads was confirmed by Fulbright it would release beyond 2021. Reports emerged in August that a remastered pack comprising of the PS2 Grand Theft Auto trilogy, specifically Grand Theft Auto 3, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, and Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, was in the works at Rockstar. Those reports would subsequently be confirmed by the publisher and would later release Grand Theft Auto The Trilogy Definitive Edition for PlayStation 5, for Xbox Series X and S, for PlayStation 4, for Xbox One, for Nintendo Switch and for PC before the end of 2021 and a mobile release in 2022. We'll briefly come back around on its release in a few months, but basically this is not how you do remasters. Bethesda announced it was releasing another version of The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim for more platforms to celebrate the 10th anniversary of the RPG's release. Skyrim truly will never die. Skyrim Anniversary Edition would release with the base game, expansions, all new creation club content, mod support, 
four new Creation Club additions and the adding of Fishing to the game. It would launch on November 11th for Xbox Series X and S, PlayStation 5, as well as Xbox One and PlayStation 4, 10 years to the day since its original launch and a year to the day out from the release of Bethesda Game Studios' next game, Starfield. Nine Inch Nails guitarist Robin Fink, keeping on the band's connection with video games. Please give us a new game score soon, Trent. Announced the forming of a brand new studio, Eyes Out, along with former Spec Ops The Lion creative director Corey Davis. Its first project was confirmed to centre around environmental storytelling. And later in the year it was confirmed the first game, our game, would be published alongside the aforementioned projects earlier from Gen Design and Playdead, as well as Remedy and Sperry Fox from Epic Games Publishing. It was Gamescom season, and while the show was held virtually again rather than in Cologne, guess the reason why, a lot of stuff went down during the week. A dot of an Xbox Gamescom showcase was a case less than how you'd set expectations, but that's not to say that there weren't other big happenings too. Bungie held a Destiny 2 showcase to officially unveil the next expansion for the MMO shooter, The Witch Screen, for a February 2022 launch. They had also confirmed the next expansion after that was called Nightfall, originally a provisional name, for 2023, and it further announced its 2024 expansion would mark the end of the story that began with the original Destiny in 2014 with the final shape. But the studio signified even beyond that that Destiny 2 would continue. Meanwhile, Keely's third Gamescom opening night live saw big unveils in the form of the next Saints Row game from Volition, a reboot of the franchise considering Saints Row 4 had made sure it had taken that part of the series as far as it could, as well as the reveal of an XCOM-like Marvel strategy game, Midnight Suns by Firaxis and XCOM reboot boss Jake Solomon. Originally confirmed for spring of 2022, 2K and Firaxis subsequently announced a delay to the second half of 2022, for the game a month and a half afterwards. Also key was the announcement of release dates for key first party games from both Sony and Microsoft, the latter of which we were expecting during its own showcase. 343's Joe Staten, who had returned to the Halo franchise just a year earlier, confirmed Halo Infinite, both with single player and multiplayer, would launch on December 8th, although it would come at the loss of campaign co-op and Forge at launch, as it's later revealed by 343. But there would be a big surprise, of the good kind, later in the year for those holding out. Meanwhile, Horizon Forbidden West got its long suspected delay out of 2021 by Sony and Guerrilla Games. But Sony did give a specific date for the game at last. February 22nd, 2022. September. If June was new silly season, September marked the start of the release silly season. Things were not helped a whole lot by the number of games that dropped during the month. 
picturesque courier game Lake dropped on Xbox as well as PC, while Annapurna Interactive and Beethoven and Dinosaurs The Artful Escape surprised me, personally speaking, out of nowhere as someone who didn't feel much of it before its release, they become a Game of the Year contender for Xbox and PC. Also released in September was Life is Strange Tree Colors for PlayStation, Xbox and PC, Tales of Arise for PlayStation, Xbox and PC, Skatebird for Xbox, Nintendo Switch and PC, Kena Bridge of Spirits for PlayStation and PC, Lost Judgment for PlayStation, Xbox and PC, Sable for Xbox and PC, and Death Strand and Director's Cut for PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 4. See, there were a lot of games that were released in September, but I also didn't mention two other big releases in September. But we'll come to those separately, because September wrapped up the showcase season in a big way. If you thought Kitty was the end of it with Gamescom opening night live, you thought wrong, friend. Although in fairness, a lot of us did pretty much the same thing. Sony announced in early September a PlayStation showcase that promised new looks at games coming from its first party lineup, as well as third party publishers for games coming to PlayStation 5, as well as PlayStation 4. But just before it, Sony found itself in the crosshairs of a PR friendly fire incident specifically regarding Horizon Forbidden West. Sony opened up pre-orders for the Gorilla RPG for box versions, collector's editions and digital versions at retail and on the PlayStation Store. However, despite initial promises from Sony and PlayStation President Jim Ryan in late 2020 the game would get a free upgrade alongside launch titles Spider-Man Miles Morales from Insomniac Games and Sackboy Big Adventure from Sumo Digital, the only way to gain both versions of the game was to either purchase the Digital Deluxe Edition for $80 in the PlayStation Store or one of two boxed collector's editions at a total between $200 and $260. The situation with Horizon opened up a more cursory discussion of Sony's messaging since the new console generation began nearly a year ago that is still worthy of discussion even now and a discussion on Sony providing at best inconsistent messaging and at worst disingenuous. In the end, following immense criticism and backlash, Sony reversed course and said it would live up to its initial promise of providing a free upgrade for Horizon Forbidden West, but said all future first party upgrades from PS4 to PS5, including Gran Turismo 7 and the next God of War game, would cost $10. Clearing up from the kerfuffle, there is no new showing of Horizon as part of the PlayStation Showcase less than a week later. But what is shown in the near 45 minute presentation is big and headlined in particular by a big presence from Insomniac Games. Fresh off the success of carrying the PlayStation 5 launch and its first year with releases of Spider-Man Miles Morales and Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart respectively, the studio made a case for becoming the flagship studio within PlayStation Studios a little over two years after joining the group ahead of Naughty Dog. As expected, it unveiled as part of the event Spider-Man 2 for a 2023 release featuring a big appearance setting up Venom as the antagonist. But Insomniac wasn't done there. It also unveiled a surprise second project. At the dark Ah. 
Insomniac is making a Wolverine game. That's all that needs to be said. Primarily because we don't really know much about it beyond a tone teaser or even when it will release. But if there is one studio that defined the PlayStation Showcase and has played a huge part in PlayStation 5's success so far, it's Insomniac Games. Also announced at the PlayStation Showcase was a long rumoured remake of Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic from Asper and coming to PlayStation 5 as a timed console exclusive alongside a PC version. A remastered version of Alan Wake coming to PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 4 and for the first time on PlayStation platforms too. And also intensifies significant speculation and reports from early in the year that Alan Wake 2 is inbound from the finished studio's publishing deal with Epic Games. A delay for the expanded and enhanced edition of Grand Theft Auto 5, originally due in November, although it is replaced by the release of Grand Theft Auto the Trilogy Definitive Edition from March, as well as a new look at Rainbow Six Extraction, the timed Bethesda exclusives providing a first look in-game at Ghostwire Tokyo in a year ahead of its Spring 2022 launch, and the final look at Arcane Leon's Deathloop a week before its release. Gran Turismo 7 got a March 4th 2022 launch, a virtual exhibition by Radiohead from Epic Games featuring music and artwork from its mega Kid A Amnesiac re-release Kid Amnesia, remasters of Uncharted 4 and Uncharted The Lost Legacy for PS5 and PC, and a ton, ton more. Though one more thing of the showcase comprises of the first proper look at the next God of War game from Sony Santa Monica following a pre-PS5 launch tease, entitled, I'm surprised, pretend we couldn't guess what the subtitle was all along, God of War Ragnarok. It was revealed afterwards that, continuing a tradition from the series, Cory Barlog would not return to direct the game following the 2018 reboot and would be instead Ragnarok's executive producer, with the reins handed off instead the longtime Sony Santa Monica veteran Eric Williams. Meanwhile, Barlog is working on a mysterious second project within the studio that was first alluded to by the developer at the end of the year. But Sony wasn't the only first party to have a showcase in September. Cue a Nintendo Direct! But more on that in a moment. Meanwhile, elsewhere in September, a little after the PlayStation Showcase, Sony made things official following an erroneous tweet from Sony Japan and announced that it acquired Demon's Souls and Shadow of the Colossus remake developer Bluepoint Games. The developer reveals in an interview afterwards, however, its first project as a first party developer is not a remake or remaster, but an original game. What that game is, however, remains to be seen. Brendan Green, aka PlayerUnknown, announced he was leaving PUBG Corp parent company Crafton and moved his development studio in Amsterdam from being an entity within it to being independent. In a video released afterwards, he revealed Prologue, his next game revealed at the Game Awards in 2019 as a procedurally generated open world survival game. But it's what will come after Prologue, hence the name, where the technology from that will drive the bigger game that comes after it and act as a simple introduction to an early iteration of the technology and a chance to look at what has been accomplished by leveraging machine learning according to Green. When it launches, whenever that is, Prologue will be a pay what you like demo similar to what Radiohead did with the release of its album In Rainbows in 2007. 
Netflix announced that it acquired Night School Studio, the developer of After Party and Oxenfree, as part of the Streamers Games program that was beginning to ramp up at that time. Microsoft announced that Square Enix owned Tomb Raider and Avengers developer Crystal Dynamics was to be co-developing the new Perfect Dark reboot alongside the initiative, itself filled with former veterans of the Bay Area studio including former studio head and Square Enix West studio's boss Daryl Gallagher. There were two other big releases in September we wanted to touch on separately from the releases segment at the start of each month. First, Deathloop from Bethesda and Arcane Neon launched on PlayStation 5 as a timed exclusive and on PC as well. Critical reception pointed to the game being a massive success, and a well deserved one too. Deathloop is one of the best games of the year, although the irony that a Microsoft owned developer is providing PlayStation 5's best exclusive of the year is not lost here. Another key release, and an unexpected one too, is the release of Chapter 2 of Deltarune, the spiritual successor, potentially even direct successor, The Undertale from Toby Fox on PC, PlayStation and Nintendo Switch. Chapters 1 and 2 were made available for free, but Fox said future chapters would be available at a premium. So, that Nintendo Direct then. Its usual September Direct presentations admittedly this one being the first since the pandemic, regularly are the last before the end of the year, and Nintendo wanted to go out with a bang. This one definitely went out with a bang, but with some bewilderment too. But let's rewind first. An expansion for Monster Hunter Rise known as Sunbreak, as well as the reveal of the next Kirby game, Kirby and the Forgotten Land, for a spring 2022 launch, the first look at Splatoon 3 since its February announce, and one last look at Metroid Dread before its release. Nintendo also announced a new tier for Nintendo Switch Online, a more premium aspect known as Nintendo Switch Online plus expansion pack that allowed players existing benefits such as online multiplayer and access to NES and SNES games, but also offer perks such as Nintendo 64 and Sega Mega Drive games. The service would launch a month later along with an additional big perk, but we'll get to that in October. Things got utterly absurd for the final stretch of this director. Shigeru Miyamoto appeared to detail the upcoming Mario film from Minion Studio Illumination, debuted the first one-sheet poster for the film as well as its release date of December 2022. But the absurdity came towards the end of his segment when he announced the full voice cast of the film. Guardians of the Galaxy lead and shitty human being Chris Pratt as Mario it's always sunny in Philadelphia's Charlie Day as Luigi, the Queen's Gambit's Anya Taylor-Joy as Peach, Jack Black of School of Rock as Bowser, Seth Rogen from Pineapple Express as Donkey Kong, Key and Peele's Keegan-Michael Key as Toad, Fred Armisen from Portlandia as Cranky Kong, and what is admittedly a genius bit of casting if you've watched Portlandia, and more. In its aftermath, half of Twitter was lit up between shitting on Pratt, Rightly so, frankly. While the other half of it was It's Always Sunny ship posts with days casting in what was an announcement of absurdity. As it should be. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? Pepe Sylvia, this name keeps coming up over and over again. Every day, Pepe's mail's getting sent back to me. Pepe Sylvia, Pepe Sylvia. I look in the mail, but this whole box is Pepe Sylvia! So I say to myself, I gotta find this guy. I gotta go up to his office. I gotta put his mail in the guy's goddamn hands. Otherwise, he's never gonna get it. It's gonna keep coming back down here. So I go up to Pepe's office, and what do I find out, Mac? What do I find out? There he 
is no Pepe Silvia. The man does not exist, okay? So I decided, oh shit, buddy, I gotta dig a little deeper. There's no Pepe Silvia, you gotta be kidding me. I got boxes full of Pepe. All right, so I start marching my way down to Carol and HR, and I knock on her door and I say, Carol, Carol, I gotta talk to you about Pepe. And when I open the door, what do I find? There's not a single goddamn desk in that office. There is no Carol in HR. But the absurdity turned into happiness and joy with the direct one last thing. And on Bisexual Awareness Day 2, Nintendo is a queer ally confirmed. Bad boy. It seems I'm unfashionably late, but I'm ready to give you everything you want. Nintendo and Platinum Games, finally! Finally! Fucking finally! Showed the first in-game trailer for Bayonetta 3 following its initial announcement in December 2017 at the Game Awards. Revealed the 2022 launch for the game on Nintendo Switch and confirmed by Platinum Games to be in the final stretch of the game's development. Hallelujah! October. October was a quieter-ish month in news, but that wasn't said the releases weren't letting up. Alongside the launch of the Nintendo Switch OLED version and Metroid Dread, there was Alan Wake's debut on PlayStation platforms, as well as Xbox and PC with remastered. In our critical analysis, I said it was a timely reminder of what Remedy can do as a studio with its storytelling, world building and atmosphere. Also out in October was Jet the Far Shore for PlayStation and PC, Far Cry 6 on PlayStation, Xbox and PC, and Nintendo Switch release of the brilliant Tetris Effect Connected, Back for Blood on Xbox, PlayStation and PC, and available on Xbox Game Pass. Guardians of the Galaxy for PlayStation Xbox, a cloud version on Switch and PC, and Age of Empires 4 on PC, plus Riders Republic on PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. One other key release during October was our annual FIFA Fawn. FIFA 22 launched on PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo Switch, as a Legacy Edition, and PC. In its first week, 9.1 million players have played the game EA announced, but in sharing that information and other nuggets, it also dropped a bombshell. EA is looking at rebranding the FIFA series in what would be one of the biggest moves in the industry in a long time. EA currently has a licensing deal with football's global governing body through to 2022 that will expire just after the Qatar World Cup in December next year. Meaning once FIFA 23 releases next year, 
It is possible we will see the end of a 30-year history for EA Sports' biggest moneymaker, thanks to sales and ultimate team transactions. A New York Times report cited the potential roadblock for any new extension between EA and FIFA being a $2.5 billion fee that would be paid over the next decade. If EA does decide to do away from the FIFA moniker from 2023 onwards, a trademark registration suggests a potential new name of EA Sports FC, currently the name of the series Social Service since 2011 and FIFA 12. What could be the end of one era at one publisher was definitely the end of another at another publisher. Sega veteran Toshihiro Nagoshi left the company after a 22 year spell at the company which saw him helm key games for the company including the Yakuza series as well as becoming its chief creative officer. Nagoshi was rumoured to have been headhunted per a report in the summer to join a new Japan based studio from NetEase. The departure of him and fellow Yakuza veteran Daisuke Sato saw a massive reshuffle within Ryo Gaku Toko studio leadership a month after release of Lost Judgment, but confirmed a new Yakuza game following on from Yakuza Like a Dragon was in the works. In a Famitsu interview a month later, new studio head Masayoshi Yokoyama confirmed the next Yakuza game would take place several years after Like a Dragon and that it was also working on games outside of the Yakuza and Judgment series. Also in the news during October, Koichi Sugiyama, the composer of the Dragon Quest series, died at the age of 90, Square Enix announced. In a statement, Square Enix CEO Yosuke Matsuda said words could not, quote, express the scale of the contribution made by Koichi Sugiyama from the birth of the Dragon Quest series until now, unquote. But Sugiyama, Famed as he was for his music, to the point the Dragon Quest theme was played during the opening ceremony of the Olympics in Tokyo back in the summer, also had an incredibly problematic and toxic side to him, to say it lightly. He was an ultra-nationalist who was incredibly homophobic and immensely anti-LGBTQIA. He was also a Holocaust denier, as well as denied the existence of the Nanking Massacre. After months of criticism on a lack of content updates for the game, Nintendo officially announced update 2.0 for Animal Crossing New Horizons featuring the return of Brewster the Pigeon and Cap'n as well as a lot lot more. It also announced a premium expansion, Happy Home Paradise, where you could become an interior designer. The expansion was also made available not only to buy the same day of update 2.0, but for anyone who had subscribed to Nintendo Switch Plus Expansion Pack, it'd be able to use the expansion for free. Suicide Squad killed the Justice League from Rocksteady and Gotham Knights from Warner Bros. Games Montreal got its first showings in a little over a year. This was also Suicide Squad's first in-game look. And both are looking tip-top. Suicide Squad has actually gotten a brand new gameplay look since at the Game Awards. Both are launching next year, with Suicide Squad being a PS5 and Xbox Series S game alongside the PC version. Finally, the final update and final finder for Super Smash Bros Ultimate was released 3 years after its release, where the internet had a collective shit in the bed moment when it was revealed the fighter in question was Kingdom Hearts Sora. All the same, it was a melancholy moment as players lined up to say thanks to director Masahiro Sakurai for his work on the game on social media and across the entire series as well. In a Famitsu interview a month later, Sakurai said he was unsure about the future of the series going forward, but said he didn't see it continuing without him as a producer at least.
November. November marked the end of release to this season, but did make sure to note one final release that none of us saw coming. Big games released during the month included Forza Horizon 5 for Xbox and PC, Skyrim Anniversary Edition on PlayStation, Xbox and PC, and also being a year out from the release of Starfield's 11.11.22 release, Grand Theft Auto The Trilogy Definitive Edition on PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo Switch and PC, in what was otherwise an example of how not to do remasters, as I mentioned earlier. Also released was Shin Megami Tensei 5 for Nintendo Switch, Battlefield 2042 for PlayStation, Xbox and PC, and the Kid Amnesia Exhibition by Epic Games and Radiohead for PlayStation and PC. Also released in November was the latest Call of Duty game from Sledgehammer Games, Vanguard. But a week and a half after its launch, and amidst its continuing legalities for serious misconduct, toxic behaviour, inequality, harassment and more, a bombshell report emerged from the Wall Street Journal that reported not only did Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kodak know of allegations from within the company, but also had allegations levelled against him directly, including threatening to have a former assistant killed in a voicemail message. One other example cited how Treyarch co-studio head Dan Bunting was accused of sexual harassment from 2017, but despite a 2019 internal investigation from HR that suggested he should be fired, Kodak intervened to keep him in his role. Bunting is now no longer a Treyarch following the Wall Street Journal's investigation. Jen O'Neill, the former co-leader of Blizzard who was promoted to the role alongside Mike Gibara following Jay Allen Brack's departure, who subsequently announced her own departure from the company the month before, is cited as having sent an internal email to Activision Blizzard's legal team that claimed she didn't have faith in what it was doing. Quote unquote from O'Neill, I have been tokenized, marginalized and discriminated against, she said in the mail. The Wall Street Journal also reported that in the mail, O'Neill talked of a party from 2007 that she attended along with Kodak for an unnamed Activision studio that featured scantily dressed women on stripper poles and encouraged women at the event to drink more so male guests would have a better time. In the aftermath of the WSJ's report, O'Neill was offered pay parity, one of the key discrepancies that Activision Blizzard is being sued for, only after she resigned per an IGN report. From a message O'Neill left in an internal Activision Blizzard slack, when Mike, referring to Mike Gibara, who took sole charge of Blizzard after her resignation, when Mike and I were placed in the same co-lead role, we went into the role with our previous compensation, which was not equivalent. It remained that way for some time, after we made multiple rejected requests to change it to parity. While the company informed me before I tendered my resignation that they were working on a new proposal, we were made equivalent offers only after, emphasis O'Neill's, I tendered that resignation. All three first-party platform holders, Sony, Microsoft and Nintendo, sent internal memos that showed them distancing themselves from Activision in light of the Wall Street Journal report. With Xbox boss Phil Spencer even going as far as sending his memo it was evaluating its existing relationship with Activision Blizzard. Despite continuous calls and pressure, Kodak has yet to step down as CEO of Activision Blizzard as of this episode of Press Play going out. Also in November, 
It was the 20th anniversary of Xbox during November, and Microsoft went big with it. As part of an anniversary stream that saw a look back on the platform over its two decades, including an appearance from the first head of Xbox, Robbie Back, Microsoft announced one final round of additions to the Xbox Backwards compatibility program. Originally ended in 2019 to focus on development of Project Scarlet, what we now know as Xbox Series X and S, with 76 games from the original Xbox as well as Xbox 360. Here's a fun fact for you. One of those 76 games is an episode of Season 6 of My Favourite Game. I'll even significantly narrow down the list for you to take a guess at. Some of the games added included Katamari Forever, the full Max Payne trilogy from Rockstar and Remedy, Time Splitters 2 as well as Time Splitters Future Perfect, Skate 2, even if EA announced a day later its servers were closed in the following month, the original Nier, Ridge Racer 6 and Binary Domain. I've just significantly reduced your guessing range down from 76 games to 10. Have fun trying to figure out which game. Also celebrating its 20th anniversary the same day as the franchise that launched for the Xbox and became its flagship franchise. Halo. Alongside a first look at the upcoming TV show airing next year, Microsoft and developer Free for Free Industries dropped a bombshell. It was making available the multiplayer suite of Halo Infinite, already announced to be free to play in 2020, available to everyone on Xbox and PC that day. It was advertised as a beta ahead of the full game's release, including its story on December 8th, but it had the full multiplayer aspect of the game shadow dropped that day. And the first impressions were strong, very strong actually, despite its progression aspect not being as kind, shall we say, as it should be. One of Playdow's key content drops over the year was a week of content on cozy and wholesome games being made with long form write ups on a walk with Yaya, a little to the left, letters, and Amberal, as well as a brand new wholesome snack presentation from Wholesome Games the community, who have been curating these sorts of games primarily from independent developers over the past three years nearly at this point. The main pillar around that week was a 90 minute episode of press play on the community and the Twitter account, as well as the scene at large. Here's Matthew Taylor and James Tillman from Wholesome Games. I, I still remember that launch where I, I think James came up with the the basic concept, and then I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. Uh, we'll just keep it simple. Like It'll be something we can do while we're still making games, and uh, it just went from there. I, I do think one interesting like aspect of it is that uh, going into it, we were aware of like the concept of cozy games because... Uh, I think there had been a panel a year or two before that had been about cozy games at PAX West. Sony announced its next PC release, the 2018 version of God of War from Sony Santa Monica that will release this coming January on Steam and Epic Game Store. A new state of play presentation for Sony that month didn't provide a whole lot beyond the first look at new gameplay from Little Devil Inside, a game unveiled as part of the PS5 reveal in summer 2020 but it did give a big unexpected announcement within it. The next Star Ocean game from Tri-Ace. Star Ocean, the Divine Force will launch on PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 4, as well as Xbox Series X and S, Xbox One and PC next year. The next game from Stardew Valid creator Eric Concerned Ape Barone was revealed as Haunted Chocolatier, a game that may or may not be set in the Stardew Valley universe where you run a chocolate shop gather ingredients to make chocolate, and more. 
Announced earlier in the year as part of a new multi-year partnership between Niantic and Nintendo, Pikmin Bloom, an AR walk-in focused game for mobile, launched worldwide for Android and iOS. Well-known persona composer Shoji Magiro left Atlas as a full-time employee to go freelance and work on his own independent games. However, he will still work with the publisher on future projects it has in the works. Finally, Bethesda Game Studios director Todd Howard said the magic words, Fallout 5. He confirmed a one-page treatment for the next numbered game in the series does exist within the studio, but anyone expecting it anytime soon is sorely going to be disappointed considering Starfield and The Elder Scrolls 6 are ahead of the queue. Howard acknowledged though fans of Fallout would have to put up for a long wait for the game between Fallout 4 and 5, not including the 2018 release of online based Fallout 76, as fans of The Elder Scrolls would have to put up with a similar wait for Skyrim and The Elder Scrolls 6. December And so, here we are. December didn't see a whole lot of big releases compared to months earlier, but it was the end of the year this month. However, that's not to say there wasn't any big releases at all. Just short of a month since its multiplayer shadow drop, Halo Infinite released fully for Xbox Series X and S, Xbox One and PC. Also released following a two week delay was Final Fantasy XIV's latest expansion Endwalker for PlayStation and PC, we'll get to that in a bit more detail in a second, and The Gunk, an RPG from the team behind the SteamWorld franchise that was first announced back in May 2020, was released for Xbox Series X and S, Xbox One and PC. Also on Game Pass, don't you know? Amid everything going on in the industry at that time, including at Activision, it was still that time of year. The Keelys. Arcane Leon's Deathloop came into the Game Awards as the heavy favour for the ceremony, leading the way with 8 nominations in total. But despite 2 wins, it surprisingly did not win the big award of the night. A certain fuck the Oscars purveyor walked away with it. And the 2021 Game of the Year is... It Takes Two. So unreal, this thing. I was, I was up in the dead stage, uh, 2017, uh, uh, saying fuck the Oscar, and, and uh, now... Uh, actually, in a way, the Oscars got fucked, because the Game Awards is getting way better, so... <laughs> I want to... I know there are 30 seconds, I'm going to be extremely fast, so I want to take my... Uh, uh, let me see. My, my, my beautiful team for a fantastic world. Obviously, without them, I can't do anything. And also, I want to say also, I want to uh, give this award to my daughter, Mio, and my soon-to-come daughter, Zoe. It's so nice to have children. I'm surprised how much you love them. If you don't have children, go get them. I mean, this is the best thing that can happen. Thank you again. I'm really proud. I'm shaking. Look at me, man. This is like a big, big moment for me. And Neil, you're a big inspiration. Thank you. Joseph Farris and Hazel Light won Game of the Year for It Takes Two, which won three other awards on the night and was the joint biggest winner alongside Forza Horizon 5 from Playground Games. From an announcement perspective, a lot was announced. 
Warhammer 40k Space Marine 2, Wonder Woman from Monolith Productions and Warner Brothers, a release date at last for Tunic on March 16th, 2022, and too many more to name. Well, except for one more thing. We all come to a story with hopes and expectations, looking for an answer. Sometimes it would be better to live with that hope without ever finding the story. This is not the story you want it to be. This story will eat you alive. This story is a monster. And monsters wear many faces. To the eternal delight of me, myself, and I, and only I, Alan Wake 2 was finally made official from Remedy and Epic Games Publishing for a 2023 launch on PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X and S, and PC, also acting as Remedy's first ever survival horror game and the angel's heart hallelujah more on the game will be revealed next summer which sounds a lot like code for e3 elsewhere to wrap up the year in december in the aftermath of the game awards an ign report delved into the messy past of halo and destiny developer bungie specifically issues within its narrative team on overt sexism boys club culture crunch and HR protection of abusers as well as more complex stories of microaggressions, systematic inequalities and difficulties in being heard. In a statement Bungie CEO Pete Parsons apologised to those at the studio who had quote unquote experienced anything less than a safe, fair and professional working environment, listing some of the changes made over the years including the removal of bad actors, better dev timelines to avoid crunch and better planning for release dates. Parsons added, quote, speaking with the team at Bungie, reading the stories and seeing both known and new to surface accounts, it is clear we still have work ahead of us. I am committed to it. We are not yet the studio we have the potential to become, but we are on our way, unquote. The release of Final Fantasy XIV's latest expansion, Endwalker, saw the game finally get its overdue success with awards at the Game Awards and a critical acclaimed consensus that finally feels like the moment, if not beforehand, the MMO has become the best ongoing game, the best MMO and one of the best games outright in the industry today. It is a bona fide success story. But amid all the popularity and Endwalker's release, Final Fantasy XIV servers are congested with players waiting in hours long queues and publisher Square Enix even removing the game's free trial and starter kit across all platforms as a result. Free game time has been promised for all subscribers. Following reports a few weeks earlier that a new game in the series had entered production, Ubisoft officially announced a remake of the original Splinter Cell was greenlit at Splinter Cell Blacklist and Watch Dogs Legion developer Ubisoft Toronto. The game will run off the Snowdrop engine. The technology from Ubisoft Massive Power in the Division, Avatar Mists of Pandora, and the open world Star Wars game currently in the works from the studio that was announced 
at the start of the year. So then, that was 2021. It has been fun, bad, innovative, horrible, dramatic, and all around something, let's say. Let's do this again, only less the shitty stuff and more of the fun and entertaining stuff, next year, shall we? Press Play is hosted, written, and produced by me, Johnny Collins. Reeling in the years. Why am I still humming? This song, I don't know the lyrics. Why am I singing? Press Play is a podcast from PlayDiaries.com, a website that focuses on telling interesting, unique, and compelling stories about video games and the people behind them on both AAA and indie levels, as well as culturally, and taking a look at them in a different, critical way. This is the final episode of Press Play of 2021, and thank God, considering I'm now looking at audacity and how long I've been recording this voiceover, but not the final episode in this batch of episodes of Press Play. At least, not just yet. As promised at the end of the Wholesome Games special in November, we have a traditional episode on the dystopian American road trip that I had hoped to put out earlier in the month. But at this point in the year, I'm choosing to fight which battles that need fighting right now mentally. But you will get that at some point in January. And when that comes out, we'll be taking a little break from press play. But don't worry, it's not as long as the one we had first time. Promise. And, don't fret. We'll be back full swing in 2022. But the only reason Press Play is going on a bit of a break, besides plotting out ideas and sorting out stuff for the next volume of episodes, as well as a bit of a recharge on that front, is because of that other podcast. Season 6 of My Favourite Game is finally launching, as of this episode of Press Play going out, on Wednesday, January 19th, 2022. We'll be announcing the full guest lineup for Season 6 on Thursday, January 13th, on twitch.tv slash playdiaries, which also happens to be Playdiaries' second birthday. Huzzah! In the meantime, listen to our Game of the Year special of My Favourite Game, My Favourite Game of 2021, that is now live on the website and all good podcast services tied you over until then. And for more news on Season 6 of My Favourite Game and Press Play in the future, stay tuned by keeping up to date by following our social media channels on Twitter or Facebook. Just search Play Diaries. If you like what you've heard here or read elsewhere in Play Diaries, the best way you can support us is by becoming a Patreon to our Patreon at patreon.com slash playdiaries. A dollar a month gets you in on the ground level and is massively appreciated for the work we put out. Consider it a tip charge sorts. But two dollars a month gets you 24 hour exclusive access to new episodes of Press Play when they arrive, as well as the new season of My Favourite Game next month, before they go live publicly. And for more stuff like this in the future, both in podcast and written form, please visit playdiaries.com. Thanks so much for listening to Play Diaries and my favourite game over the course of 2021, and have a fantastic 2022 wherever you are. Thanks for listening. <laughs>